And if you outsource it every single time, then you are, you're not, you're, you're just delaying a problem that you need to solve yourself. And the better you can become to go through smaller, but very, very, very frequent iterations of change, the better. I'm curious about, for, for the businesses you're working with at the moment, I guess, what, what do you see as, I guess you, you said you're, you're lucky that they have got the right sort of mindset to, to think that strategy is an issue. I guess, do, have you got any sort of insight into what, what they saw as like the most common sort of pain points? Is there any, any symptoms that they had that, that, that made them think of working with you? No, I don't think. There's one organization that did come to me with a particular pain point around employee engagement and morale. And so the request there was, how do you help the leadership across this organization both to look after themselves and to help their teams around morale and engagement? So that one was a, a specific pain point, which we mm. can talk about. But I think most of them are coming to me with ambition. And instead of I'm trying to solve a problem, it's the problem is we're going to treble in size. Mm -hmm. And how do we do that? Maintaining what's made us great today, but adding some stuff in to increase the likelihood of us re reaching these goals that we have. So yeah, it's kind of different in terms of how they come to me. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause yeah, sometimes I get both sides. So either someone thinks there's an issue with like efficiency or just knowledge gap of, of, tech solution and then sometimes it's like well, we, we really want to grow and we know we mm. might get into a bit of a mess so we want to sort it out ahead of time which sounds like more like what most of your clients are, are into is like well we don't think it's a problem right now but we want to make sure that we're yeah. we're okay to grow yeah yeah it's, yeah it's exactly that and it's also just you know being i guess conscious of the fact that your likelihood to succeed is going to be based on how well, you enable your people to work by themselves and together. That's going to be a huge um, catalyst for how likely or, or, a, or a multiplier. The multiplier effect of being intentional about that is, is huge. You mm. know, potentially bigger than anything else that you could do. You know, you've seen, you think about history of, of organizations and you study the ones that are successful over time and the ones that, that typically fail you can create a good product that can give you success, but that will not last. You know, anybody can become tomorrow's blockbuster, but mm. the ones that are successful are the ones that know how to innovate and change consistently over time. They get to the top and they're already thinking about, well, what's next? What's the adjustment? How do we disrupt it? How do we innovate? How do we change? It's a really hard mindset to um to build as a company you know we talked about ad car and change management type of models the more i've learned about this the more i think that capability has to be insourced as much as possible because your organization has to be consistently ready for constant change and if you mm. outsource it every single time then you are you're not you're, you're just delaying a problem that you need to solve yourself. And the better you can become to go through smaller, but very, very, very frequent iterations of change, 
the better. Mm. Yeah, and I guess with seems like it's more prevalent now. It's like you know being a very lean organization, and you know outsourcing is more more common. Um, so yeah, so I guess it's interesting to think about change being in sourced versus versus outsourced. Um, mm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it needs to be a, a core competency. I the, guess. Outs- the outsourcing thing, I, I find outsourcing fascinating. Mm. You know, if you so the, you, you saw the McDonald's story um, this week, last week around yeah the all of the um, cases being made against McDonald's now all these people coming out against how you know the abuse and all that kind of stuff that's been mm. happening. So their model is is to franchise, right? Mm-hmm. And so you've got this McDonald's culture. You go into the McDonald's homepage and you look at careers. They've got all these wonderful statements around culture, community, inclusivity, fairness, and all this kind of different stuff. But of course, I think it's 85% of their restaurants in the UK are franchised and not to one franchisee. There's loads of franchisees. I have no idea how many mm. of them there are, but it's something like 1,300 restaurants, let's say, are not directly controlled by McDonald's, which means McDonald's cannot enforce a culture. They can't even enforce hiring decisions, I think, based on their mm. terms and conditions mm-hmm. for that franchisee. All they can do is say, you're not performing in the way you would want, so we revoke your license, which has never been done in the UK. Right. And so, you know, you think about how do you, as McDonald's global, you know, corporate, control a culture and embed a culture when you don't have that control and yet your brand is impacted by the way that that entity that's outside of your control is engaging with your customers you know i find that really interesting i I do some um i'm a trustee for a charity and in the charity sector you have a lot of volunteer groups who Mm. are therefore not directly employed by the charity so you know how it's a similar type of problem how do you embed a culture on entities on people that you don't have direct control over but yet can have such a significant impact on how your brand and company is perceived mm. yeah tricky any any tips that you've, you've garnered from your <laughs> <laughs> time at the charity well i think for the for the, for the charities or for organizations where you've got um people that are carrying the brand of your company with you but not directly employed i think you've just got to be intentional about how you recruit those people and the expectations on that role that they are part of yes it's a lovely thing to volunteer i volunteer you know as a trustee but that carries a responsibility no matter what capacity you're volunteering in i think being intentional about that is really important i think when you when an organization recruits volunteers or brings people in in that type of capacity, they can almost be very submissive in how they approach that. So, you know, we're really grateful, Gavin, that you volunteered your time mm. to do this. And, th- and they don't put any kind of conditions around that or expectations because they're just thankful, rightly, for you volunteering your valuable time and expertise. But we shouldn't be afraid to put conditions around that and say, you know, really grateful for you volunteering, Gavin. This is the expectation around what we need you to be and how we want you to be in the capacity that you're joining. Mm. And, you know, I think you need to be really clear on that from the start. And then that enables an ongoing relationship where you can have good discussion around any variance in 
performance versus expectation in their capacity as a as a volunteer if that makes mm. sense i think if you don't set that from the start you can't catch up with that at a later date yeah yeah it's uh, an interesting problem you just reminded me of so i speak to a lot of it managed service providers and just think about outsourcing i guess there's, there's some outsourcing where you just happen to not employ the person so it's like you know it's easier to to scale up and down depending on how you're getting on i guess which is good for a, for a startup um but you still like would think of them as part of the company and include them in the culture and then there's outsource where like well i just don't want to deal with it i just want them to just do what i tell them to do and send me the result and i'm not bothered and it's interesting i guess like even within an it provider even within one company, they've got some contacts that treat them like as if they're part of the organization. They've got some people that are like, you know, so the cultures, you know, I guess the subcultures, but in general, that company is a nice place to work. But then sometimes that IT provider is treated by the organization, even though it's nice and got a good culture, as just like, mm -hmm. just do it and you know, you're not part of us. So just sort of get on with it. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, an interesting problem, but I guess it's more more and more prevalent that companies need to consider what they're outsourcing and how to manage the culture of their outsourced partners yeah. as, as people use it more and more. Yeah, I mean, it, I think a lot of it can depend on, there's, there's, well, for me, there's always two considerations around, do you need to invest in culture? And the first one, and I, this is Amy Edmondson, who is the person that popularized um, psychological safety. But she said, you don't need to invest in psychological safety, which you know we can go into, but is a key fundamental base layer you need for any high performance culture has to sit on psychological safety. Mm -hmm. She said, you don't need to invest in psychological safety if there is no requirement for your team to work together, if there's no interdependence needed for success to happen, mm -hmm. and if there's no uncertainty in what you're doing and the future and you know, what you might need to do tomorrow versus today. And so you know, I think of that as a really interesting way to consider outsourcing. You know, if you're going to outsource part of your business and they don't need to be highly collaborative or interdependent in how they work with different parts of your function, maybe mm -hmm. they just go through one person, then maybe you don't need to worry as much about their culture. You can, you can outsource that task. And mm -hmm. similarly, if what they're doing is very well scoped and is not likely to change over time, then again, Maybe that feels like a good thing to outsource. If either one of those two variables is quite different, mm. then a consideration of their culture and how that works with you probably increases as a result. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's interesting to, to sort of say on outsourcing. I guess as you were saying that, it's like, I can't, those examples of where those two aren't true, I think mm. are becoming less and less. So it's like, well, there's not many, many functions now that aren't collaborative and uh, you don't need them for future success, I would say. Um, so that's interesting. You just reminded me of um, when I was like uh, doing corporate training on like just psychological safety, I guess, but like 10 years ago. So it wasn't, I think it was coined then, but it was just like, instead of saying, you're trying to get everyone to train, you know, to be, to, to work better together. So we're like saying, well, rather than saying that's a bad idea, you, know, you don't attack the person, attack the idea, but right, just build on it instead so well here's like a different idea that we can build on top of but it was sort of the whole training was sort of kiboshed by the this one director that was like they were having like a difference of opinion and they were like right to build on that that's shite 
and just sort of cut the other guy <laughs> down as well. He used the right language, but he still not really got the gist of uh, of that psychological safety. It's like he's just no one else said anything for the rest of the meeting. So that whole thing. Well, no, exactly sort of, right. So that yeah. that is exactly it. You know, leaders don't. I just don't think it's obvious when you're in a leadership role how much weight you carry over the rest of the room by the things you say, you don't say, your body language, you know, all of that has such an impact um, mm. on the rest of the room. Yeah, I, the, the reason, you know, the fact that you're recalling that, you know, years later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I wonder if that director would remember that, that they did that. Probably not. But mm. all the people in the room probably do. Yeah, yeah. Same thing with feedback. I always think feedback's a, uh, a one that, that, I guess you get trained in the tactics, but really it's the underlying culture, psychological safety that, that whether it makes it that's going to work or not. So remember, we always like got the training on good intention feedback technique, and then it's like you know, here's what to say. It's like, well, you know, I'm saying this because of blah blah blah, and here's what you did. So it's based in behavior, and here's what I think should change. But it never really got for me. It never really got to like the, and maybe it's because of the training, that particular training, but it's never really got to the core of like, well you're you're assuming that you're correct by you giving me feedback which has already all already got tension built into it right because if you're like here's you did this and this made me feel this it's like well i didn't mean to do that or well it, it was just all never seemed to to land quite right and then you know as it, if it's not kept up as part of the culture just you had some training and it, everyone does it for a bit to like show willing yeah. to their manager and then just slowly drift down and no one bothers giving feedback anymore because probably had a couple of bad experiences that didn't go great um, but we're, we're as a country we are a nightmare for feedback you know yeah. i think our communication style in the uk is is a disaster if you could imagine coming from another country to work in the uk you know in, in a lot of our communication style we're quite explicit aren't we as a country relative to a lot of others in that we you know we if there's a meeting we tell everybody in the meeting what we're going to talk about before the meeting then at the start of the meeting we tell everybody what's going to happen we go through the meeting, we summarize what's happened at the end of the meeting, and then we'll email at the end of it and say, this is what we agreed. You know, we're very explicit in our, in our communication. We don't use a lot of like reading the room type of stuff that you might get in a Japanese organization, for example. Mm. So we're very, very, very explicit. And yet in our feedback, we are so wary and we try, you know, the excrement sandwich for example, you know, like <laughs> yeah. we, we yeah. try and butter up feedback with here's a nice bit, here's a the stuff I really wanted to say, but was too afraid to say it. And then here's another nice bit at the end. You know, if you were coming from another country and you heard that, Gavin, you'd be like, I don't know what I've just heard. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I'm working in a business that is so explicit in its communication, and yet you're giving me this muddy mess of stuff. I don't know what to do with that. And I think, I think feedback in the UK work culture. It's just so muddled because of how our society in the UK is about this kind of stuff. Mm. But I think with, as with anything, I think you just normalize it. You know, you, you, there's loads of different tactics you can use and frameworks and ways that you can do it. But the more you practice something and the more, the more you normalize a behavior, then the better you'll get at it. You know, if the, if the leader of a, of a team constantly says to the team, tell me something I could do better. You know, at the end of the meeting, tell me one thing I could have done better. or um how could i how could i make you more successful what's the things i could do to make you more successful constantly asking for feedback mm. helps that leader to get better at understanding how they work with feedback because that'll that'll impact them emotionally but it mm. just sets a behavioral cue for the team 
you know, mm. constantly we talk about feedback. And the more you normalize something, the more it becomes an everyday thing that isn't so heavily weighted every time it's it comes up. Mm. 